0: Let's do it.
1: Let's do it.
0: Broadcasting from around the world. You're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your
1: host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Sammy. How are you doing today? Great, thanks for having me. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listener. Sammy Dindan is the founder of Hypefury, a scheduling and automation platform for Twitter and now LinkedIn. Sami, take us back to the founding aha moment. How did you come up with this idea?
0: So the idea, the origin was there were two reasons. One was that I wanted to try new tech and learn new tech. And the second one was that I had like a side hustle on Twitter where I used to do fitness and nutrition coaching. So I was very active on Twitter. And I wanted to uh, post threads on Twitter. But there were no tools back then to schedule threads. There were many tools to schedule like typical tweets but no threads. So these two reasons combined. I built like a, a small tool like in three days. That allows you to type some tweets into a thread and schedule them onto, on Twitter. And since I had a side hustle, I had like a small network of people that were also Twitter users and we were in a group chat and I shared the link with them. I told them to try it. So yeah, they started giving me suggestions. Add this, add that, change this, change that. And that's how Hype Fury
1: happened. That's great. Thank you for sharing this. So you actually built something that, Someone needs basically a pain point for your customer. Were you in any form of way thinking about a framework on how to decide if this is an investable business or a business that can make you money in the future?
0: After I had like a few people using it. So when I, it's not even a lunch, you know, when I started sharing it with people, there were a few people using it. And that's when I was like, Okay, so I made this toy project, which initially has no use and had no, like, I had no ambitions with, you know, I just wanted to do it for the sake of it. But there are people using it every day. And is it worth it, you know, pursuing this? It's at that point that I started to see a need, you know, I started to see that there are so many tools in the market that are similar, but they don't do what my tool did. And I wasn't going to do exactly what they do, you know. I started seeing that there is a tool for everyone, you know. Even if they're all kind of, you know, they have the same foundation. But every tool can be unique in its way. And it can work for some people and not work for for others. And that's when I decided, like, that this idea, you know, it's worth putting more time and energy and effort in
1: amazing amazing so i'm pretty sure you've seen a lot of retweets so this is a question outside the context of the podcast but what is the perfect anatomy of a successful retweet
0: <laughs> there isn't <laughs> i mean you can you can you know you can try to find like a template there are some templates there are some guidelines but even if you find the formula and you get tweets that work well It doesn't matter in the long term because usually when you build a business online, you want something for the long term, you know, you want a strategy that works for a year, five years, you know, and it doesn't matter that one of your tweets does better than the other. What matters is your consistency. I think everyone knows that, but not everyone does it, but consistency is what's really needed to build like a successful brand online
1: smart advice let's dive into your first paying 100 customers, which is the name of the show how fast did it take you to get 200
0: i don't remember exactly i would say six months surely less than a year i don't have number in mind but the thing is when i so i'm gonna go on a freestyle here but when i built the tool i had it in private beta that was probably a mistake i should have launched it straight away publicly you know but I wasn't 100% sure I was hand-picking people who tried it and gathering feedback and building open that feedback until I had something decent to release. So I started in August. In December, I released it publicly to everyone. And when I released it publicly, it had already like the payment system. So one of the reasons I didn't release it earlier is because I didn't build the payment system and I was more focused into building, like, you know, the tool, then building the billing. But when I put the billing, I released it publicly in December. And I think, like, in the very first hours or days, I had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 paying people, you know? Maybe 10 for sure. So these people who use it in the beta and so, like, a use, they subscribed. And then it gets, it doesn't get easier, but, you know, once you get your first, through ten. You can build through that with word of mouth. Pretty much, the early days were word of mouth. Does that answer your question? I perfect, mean, we can perfect. we can Thank dive you.
1: deeper if you want. Like, uh, sure. Yeah, we will. We will. So I, I'm very interested to know how, what channels, let's say, worked well for you. What strategies, what tactics worked well for you to acquire your first hundred paying customers?
0: One specific thing I did is that when I was building it in private beta, I outreached to many people on twitter you know some big guys on twitter i gave a demo i gathered their feedback and in the end of each call i asked them not to recommend but only put me in touch with a friend of theirs who could use the tool you know so i did that with every person and they put us in touch then i got like i got more people giving demos and then i built a bit of hype you know in that Closed beta period, you know, I started sharing GIFs and videos of the tools, screenshots, how it worked. That hype built the first users. So I think, like, the first 100 were pretty much word of mouth. Twitter, you know, we were a Twitter tool on Twitter, so it was easier to do. But, yeah, it was doing the things that don't scale, basically. The first early days, really doing doing the things that don't scale, speaking to people, give them demos. DMs, etc. How
1: did that change now that you have a big user base?
0: Well, it changes because you can't be doing the things that don't scale forever. So, like I said, I started in August, released in December, but in December I was looking at the whole situation and I was like, okay, I'm working 16 hours a day, I'm doing like building new features, um fixing bugs. I'm speaking to users. I started having paying customers. I was started having proper customer request, you know, customer support requests. And I was like, okay, I can't do this alone. You know, if I want to scale this product, I'm gonna have to build a team. So I started looking for a partner, basically, you know, for a co-founder, a marketing co-founder, so I could focus on the technical part, and well, he focuses on the marketing on the Growth hacking, ECO, whatever. And also with the first $1,500 we started making per month, we hired a person to manage customer support. Yeah, and well, after my co-founder joined, he did the things that scale. So pretty much affiliate uh, marketing, you know, just SEO, blogs. We have a very strong blog right now, very strong website. You know, I have people deeming us to have them featured on there or put their link on, on it. And that's typically the thing that takes a long time to give results. But once it does, it's really powerful. You know, you build a blog, you do proper SEO for six months, you have nothing. It doesn't give you any returns. But once it starts like building, then you get like a lot of people trying your software from it.
1: That's very helpful. I can see that you've changed multiple times your pricing on, on the screen. How do you determine pricing and how did you decide? Do I go a freemium model, which you have a free tier and then two paying tiers? Or do I just go with the two paying tiers? What triggered this decision making process?
0: So pricing, there is no secret, you know, and there is no formula. It's pricing is all about intuition. So you got to look at your product. Look at the value you bring. Look at your competitors. You you probably don't want to be the cheapest one. You don't want to be the most expensive one. You can't charge too much compared to a tool that does more. So there are all these variables that you need to take into consideration. And it's going to be intuition. And the good thing about pricing is that you can change it later. You're going to piss off probably some users. But in the end, it's probably worth it. So I think our first pricing was $14 a month for the standard plan. And I'm not sure we had the premium plan back there, probably did. It was maybe $30 or $40 a month. So yeah, it was something like that, but standard plan was $15, $14.99. So it was pretty safe. I could increase it later. It wasn't very expensive, you know, for whomever is using Twitter to do business, to sell stuff. $14 is not much. Buffer back then was, uh, I think, $20 or $14. The price wasn't extremely expensive. It wasn't extremely cheap. It was reasonable, you know. It's, again, it's all about intuition. Just saying, okay, I'm a user. I want to buy my tool. I want to buy the tool. I want to pay for the tool. Does it make sense, you know? You don't want to price it like, I don't know, $100 a month because nobody would buy it. And you don't want to price it $5 a month because it wouldn't even make sense financially. You know, you would need like crazy amount of people to even pay your, uh, or you know, your servers or whatever. Yeah, sorry, what was the other question? Like,
1: how did you come to the decision to do a freemium model versus just the payment Uh model? Yeah,
0: freemium model was more like, let's say, competitive tactical decision, really. And we, yeah, pretty much that. We had other tools popping all around, basically copies, you know, some tools literally copied like our pages, our landing page, the names we give to our features and everything. They were very cheap. So we're like, hey, you want to do it for cheap? Okay, we'll do it for free. Here's Hype Fury for free. Uh, It was something like uh, two days of scheduling for free. You got like uh, templates to give you inspiration to write more tweets. The freemium model was made so that the people who really didn't make any money on Twitter could use Hype Fury, but once they started making money, they could easily upgrade. So all the features were there, but they were behind like a wall. uh, Paywall. Paywall, yeah. So, for example, I don't know, you click on something and it has a lock, literally it has a lock icon on it. And when you click, it says, Hey, this is like a paid feature. Do you want to upgrade? And then you say yes. And then you type in your bank card, then boom, you have access to it straight away. And we do the same thing between the standard and the premium plan. You know, we say, I don't know, I have a standard plan. I go to my analytics page, which is like a premium feature. I can go there. I can see a sample of what it looks like. And this is even easier because you can say, hey, do you want to upgrade? And they say yes. And then, boom, they upgrade because they already have their uh, credit card information, everything. So it takes, I don't know, five seconds, not even five seconds for them to get charged and to have like access to new features. That's a tip that everyone can use to maybe convert more and have more upgrades.
1: Amazing. What did you learn from your first 100 paying customers, things that you could have avoided but didn't know about them?
0: Wow, that's a tough question. That's a very broad question. Uh, I don't know, man, like uh, no specific learnings per se. I mean, there are probably things that you couldn't have seen before. Like we say, hindsight is always twenty-twenty. So it's more a matter of... Uh, doing the things that make sense to you, you know, using, again, your intuition, using, like, feedback from your users and trying something and then monitoring, you know, what you're doing, watching it and being able to change quickly, to do things quickly, you know. And the thing is that even after 100, 1,000 users, you still are in the situations where... Sometimes you could have done things better and you you wouldn't have known beforehand, you know. But we learned, we learned many things, you know, about how people react to pricing changes, how people react to, like, actual product changes, you know. Sometimes you change a feature and you're like, no way somebody's going to disagree about this change. And then you realize that actually a lot of your users use it and they're so used to the way it works because it's like lifestyle products people use our tool pretty much every day to do their social media you know so they're so used to it and then when you change something when you move a button there are so many people like nobody's asked for that you know (laughs) what the hell are you doing this is the kind of stuff that you learn along the way but in the end it's not like uh it's not the end of the world it's just like part of the process The thing is the way I started the project and I'm still doing the project that for me, I have fun in trying new things, you know, experiencing new things and learning new things. So I don't stress much about like all the small details. The the software is there. It's working. It's proven. People are paying for it. If you get like small bad feedback or small issues, it's not the end of the world. It's usually things that you can correct.
1: Perfect. One last question. What's next for Hype Fury?
0: What's next for Hype Fury? So since the start, we've been like Twitter tool. Now we're doing a lot of LinkedIn, you know, pretty much what we learn on Twitter, we're doing it on LinkedIn. One of the earliest like serious calls I had with my partner, Yannick, was where do we see Hype Fury in like 10 years or 20 years? And the answer was, we want to help 1 million people build their presence and online business. So we still have that goal, you know, 1 million, maybe we won't never make 1 million, but still we're aiming for that 1 million. And we want to give like all the resources somebody needs, you know, in terms of teaching, in terms of guides, in terms of uh, between brackets, classes, what you need to do, how to write your tweets, how to write your posts, how to grow your social media followings. So the schooling parts and the supporting more social media platforms we already do instagram facebook but we want to go deeper into instagram we want to help you know run online sales do outreach create lists of customers that you can retarget later so yeah i know my reply is pretty broad but it's going to be teaching more platforms And more automations that make sense, you know, not just adding platforms for the sake of adding more platforms, but really having, like, one tool that can do everything a creator needs to manage, to build, to sell more, to make more money, and be more free. Because in the end, like, what we all want to do is being more free, you know, build an online business and have more freedom in your real life.
1: Amazing, Sami. How can people reach you? Twitter, Sami Dindan. Or, well, hi, Thank you for Twitter. being part. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Sammy, for being part of our show. We wish you the best of luck going. Thanks for forward. having
0: me. Thank you so much for listening to the first 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers.